Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This is a bonus episode brought to you by our investigative platform Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and this week we published the findings of an extensive investigation by Noteworthy's editor Maria Delaney and business reporter Ian Curran. Their aim was to find out how much money religious orders are pocketing from lucrative property sales. Maria, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem, Susan. I'm very glad to have you here to explain to me what is going on with this, because this investigation focused on a very complex issue, religious congregations who've been involved in historic abuse and redress. Can you give us an explanation and an overview of redress relating to institutional child abuse and how that's meant to work? So there was two um, redress schemes as part of institutional child abuse. And the first was the indemnity agreement in 2002, and that was worth 128 million and around 65 of that was cash and kind of counseling offers um, and the rest was property transfers. And then there was another um, agreement in 2009 and it was voluntary offers and that was worth in the end 225.6 million. It was worth slightly more than that at the, well, a good bit more than that at the start, but that was the kind of final figure. And that included um, a significant portion of cash was part of that. And then the remainder were property transfers and other offers. Now, in terms of the indemnity agreement, almost all of that is paid. There's um, a gap of around 3.1 million um, and that will most likely be made up of two remaining property transfers. And then the voluntary offers, a significant portion of that is also paid, but there is still over 100 million, so quite a a large portion that is remaining and um, I suppose the the shortfall is made up of the National Rehabilitation Hospital is one very large property transfer left to be done by the Sisters of Mercy so that'll take up a good bit of that but also there's um, going to be a difference in the end in terms of properties that were valued in 2009 and then they were not they didn't reach that value when they were finally transferred So it most likely will have a shortfall whenever everything is done. Right. And because of the property prices going up and down, and I suppose when some of them being sold, as you say, the market was low. But there's also a case now with the properties you've been looking at where the property has been market has been up and they've probably been realising more than had been predicted, too. But this isn't the only abuse that religious orders were involved in. So while we're talking about historic abuse and the redress scheme on that, Maria, what about things like Magdalene laundries and the mother and baby institutions, which were so prevalent and affected so many people in Irish society? Yes, there is two different schemes. Um, More more recently, the mother and baby institutions scheme, um, but previously the Magdalene laundry scheme. And um, at the time, the government was in negotiations with four religious orders as part of that. And they reported that following reflection on the matter, these four congregations declined to make financial contribution. So that was in terms of Magdalene and Laundries. For mother and baby institutions, Roderick O'Gorman is currently in talks with a number of congregations as part of that. And for our investigation, we looked at property sales of those involved in both institutional child abuse with large property portfolios. So that's greater than 200 million in 2009 as well as the main religious organisations involved in the running of the Magdalene Laundries, 
or mother and baby institutions. And there's a, a number of congregations that are involved in either two of those or all three. So this sounds like a very big job. And I know you and Ian Curran, formerly of this parish, uh, quite a few months ago began examining property sales by these congregations. Even to an observer, Maria, this seems like a mammoth task. How did you manage to do this? Yeah, I, I, I won't underestimate it was um, fairly daunting when we started this off. Um, so what we did was um, we tried to put together properties that were owned by the religious institutions at some point and then see if they had been sold. So we searched the property price register using key terms like convent, mercy, presentation, Christian brothers, those kind of terms. And then um, we examined land registry folios to see if we could verify if they were owned by the orders at some point. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the properties were missing from land registry folios or hadn't been updated, but we did verify them as as much as we could. And we also asked the religious congregations whether they had owned the properties and a lot of them didn't answer. But um, we looked then at the accounts of a large number of trustee companies belonging to congregations to see if properties were mentioned or property sales. We also looked at planning filings. So a lot of the properties that were sold would have had planning permission for housing or for nursing homes or things like that. So often they would have verification of who owned the property. And then finally, we looked at historic documents like newspaper articles and also newsletters from congregations. Some of them mentioned these property sales. That's incredible, Maria. Congratulations on all of that work, um, particularly when it had the results that it did. Can you tell us some key points about what you found by all of that detective work? Yeah, so I suppose the main, the overarching finding is that since 2016, over 90 million worth of property was sold by seven religious orders involved in redress. And during this time, 27 million was paid to the state in redress by the same orders. Now, I suppose just to give examples of two of the orders, so the Sisters of Mercy, and they were involved in all of the various abuses that we mentioned earlier, and they sold the most properties. So they likely disposed of over 45 properties or the total of over 15 million during this time. And we also looked at, um, so what we did was a land registry search of the various companies that are associated with the Sisters of Mercy. And we found that they own over 240 properties and plots of land still. And one of the significant sales was the Bowman Convent. And we actually reported on this um, just earlier this year. And that was sold to the HSE for 2.7 million. And also related to this, Bowman House, which is right beside it, was given to the HSE as part of redress and it's worth 1.9 million. And what interestingly we found was that the nuns actually and other residents moved out of Beaumont House a number of years before transferring it to the HSE. So it is actually not in a great state at the moment with the windows and the doors kind of boarded up with wood. Seems like a very inefficient way to do it. And that Bowmont House, Bowman Convent, the journal and noteworthy carried your story on that, Maria, around Christmas. And it got a good bit of attention. There have been, I suppose, other properties that have caught people's attention, including uh, one belonging to the Daughters of Charity and, and so on. Could you tell us a few more of those that people might remember or they might have seen and wondered what happened to them? So there has been a quite a few high profile cases and, and I suppose we would have documented them in the piece as well as some of the other ones that we found. But one of the most high profile was the Daughters of Charity and they ran a mother and baby 
institution, which is St. Patrick's on the Navan Road. It's one of the more famous, um, unfortunately, institutions. And they sold the highest value of those analysed, so almost 40 million. And I suppose the main reason for this is that they were all inside Dublin compared to the Sisters of Mercy would have had land all over the country and property. So w- including in this is the sale of a site on Temple Road in Black Rock in 2017 for 30 million. So obviously that's a huge value for that, for a, quite a large property inside Dublin. Now, one of the other more famous sales is the Clonkeen playing pitches by the Christian Brothers, which caused a huge amount of controversy at the time from the school losing part of the playing pitches. And, and they were sold for 18 million following an agreement. And obviously the Ryan report found that molestation and rape were endemic in boys' institutions, chiefly run by the Christian Brothers. And that, um, that money actually did go to redress in the end. And speaking of redress, you reported that three particular orders paid 27 million in redress since 2016, Maria. Why, by the way, did you settle on starting with the year 2016 to begin looking at properties sold from that point? So, yeah, originally we were were kind of, what what year will we look at? Like, obviously, you have to pick some year. You can't go back indefinitely. But what we did want to do is verify the amount of redress that orders had had given since a particular date and we picked 2016 because there was an audit conducted by the Controller and Auditor General um, which was published in December 2016 and it it showed the amount of money that had been transferred by congregations at that point and the last transfer at that point was 2015 so we could say for definite these congregations transferred this amount since that date. Well that makes sense and you mentioned that clunking pitches and the money that came from them that that did go towards redress. Um, but if the money is not going to redress, as you did find in finding quite a few cases, where is the money going, Maria? Yeah, so the Christian Brothers, um, that money was reported to go to redress and they also have an agreement to give the state 50% of proceeds of the sale of playing fields going forward. Now that it's still going back on what they had originally said was where they were transferring the playing fields to the state originally, but that didn't happen. But not all orders actually answered our queries relating to property sales, but some told us the money, um, including what was done with any money made. For, For instance, the Daughters of Charity, so they told us that the sale of property fully owned by the congregation is done primarily as the property is no longer required to support their services. And um, it also is a means of supporting the various services in the country and making provision for this support of significant number of retired and elderly sisters. And they also told me that they provide ongoing support to mission work in Kenya. Now, I suppose I'm just giving that as an example because it's extremely similar to what a lot of congregations told us in that it would support older members of the congregation and also work in Ireland or work abroad, in particular in Africa. So if that's the case with most of the congregations you spoke to, does this look like the state won't ever receive the full value of the redress that had to be offered um, to survivors and victims? So we asked the congregation whether they would be, like I suppose, transferring some of the money that they may have made from these sales to redress. But the congregations, again, had very similar responses which is that either they had paid the redress that they had offered in cash or property. And even if the property, um, I suppose, was 
is transferred, I suppose that's kind of what they said they would do, even if the value is different from what the end value is. So if the value is lower. So in terms of the Department of Education, we asked them this as well, and they said the total value of the voluntary offers will not be known until all transactions have included. And they also told us that the total cost for industrial schools, reformatories and related institutions is approximately 1.5 billion. So when we analysed redress paid through the schemes, that just 70% of the total value of redress offered has been paid to date. And over 90% of the shortfall, so that's 97.7 million, was from the Sisters of Mercy. That is significant. Tell us more about the situation with the Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit complicated because the figures that over 90 million don't include any of the property that the Sisters of Mercy sold and went to redress. So there was actually a number like 16 properties to date and there's another one that um, they sold and then subsequently went to redress. And there's two properties left to transfer. So there is one as part of the indemnity agreement and one as part of the voluntary offers. And as I was saying, the biggest transfer is the National Rehabilitation Hospital, which will make up apparently a significant portion of that shortfall. But there still will be a shortfall after that. And it goes back to what I was saying in terms of properties changing in value, but also a number of so 14.9 million worth of properties that the Sisters of Mercy offered for voluntary and community organisations aren't being reckoned by the government as a contribution towards redress. Wow. In in addition to property sales, I wish this was even the end of it, but you had a number of other interesting findings. I know planning and zoning came up on this, which are quite topical and always have been. Maria, tell us what you found there, please. Yeah, so like obviously there's a a big interest in a lot of the religious organisations in planning because they have a significant land mass. So in terms of um, the congregations that we looked at, the Christian Brothers and the Religious Sisters of Charity urged Dublin City Council to reconsider zoning for the development plan consultation. So those particular orders, they have Z15 zoning, which is community and social infrastructure. And that was being reclassed. So I suppose in terms of the Christian Brothers, they stated that the proposed key policy changes to this zoning category were of significant concern, including that residential use is no longer open for consideration except for highly exceptional circumstances, and that these changes impose restrictions on delivering residential development and a surplus of surplus and underutilised land. And that's extremely similar wording, actually, to what was in the the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. They, they weren't involved in readers, but they also made a submission, as well as the Religious Sisters of Charity, who you may know f- um, from the maternity hospital, Vincent Saga. So that was in relation to their 6.55 hectare campus at Marion in Dublin 4. So again, in, in the south side of Dublin. And aside from property sales, another topical moment for us here are the congregations you looked at making money from renting any of their current assets? So we asked them, um, like almost, we asked every congregation that we analysed about if they made money from rent, and all except the Hospital or Order of Saint John of God answered or didn't answer this question. So they they answered the question and they said that um, they generate circa one point nine million in rent av- annually, and that's from the Saint John of God Hospital and a neighbouring facility. Um, a residential facility, a charity shop and a car park in County Gildare. 
and they told us that the rent income is largely used to fund the order in Ireland, UK and Malawi. Um, we also looked at a lot of the accounts of the orders and one significant um, order that gets a lot of rent is over 4 million is paid annually by the Bon Secures private hospitals to the Sisters of Bon Secures Ireland and that was in recent years in their accounts. One of the things that's coming up there, Maria, sounds like the lack of transparency from these religious orders who were involved in institutions and it's been very well documented what, what has happened there with the exception there obviously of the hospitaler order St John of God in the last section around rent. This is very jarring considering everything we know and I imagine if you were a survivor and somebody who'd gone through these redress systems this must feel particularly striking. You spoke to a survivor Terry Harrison who was as she puts it an inmate of both Bespera and St. Patrick's Mother and Children Institutions, both of those infamous. How did she feel about these property sales, Maria, when you told her what you had found? Yeah, so so you're right, Susan, about transparency. Like, in fact, some of the religious congregations wouldn't answer any of our questions in regards to property sales. So when I spoke to Terry, she called the religious orders independent subsidiaries of massive international companies that people call religion and said it's cold, hard business. And focusing on the two institutions that she was an inmate, as you said, both Besborough um, and the St. Patrick's Mother and Children Institutions. So the Daughters of Charity, so they ran St. Patrick's on the Navan Road where over 3,600 children died. And they told us that when they made their contribution to redress, they also advised the authorities that it included a contribution to the historic services on the Navan Road, including what they said, the mother and baby home, should this be required. I said this to Terry and she said that this was a very minor contribution as part of the Ryan Report to those who gave birth up to the age of 18. But anybody older didn't get a penny, including herself. Now, the Sisters of the Sacred Heart, they ran Bowsborough Mother and Baby, Mother and Children Institution, and that had a mortality rate as high as 50% for extended periods. And that, um, I suppose, famously was sold for 6.85 million in recent years. And um, we asked the sisters about this. And I suppose one of the responses that I thought was quite striking was that they told um, me that our sisters worked for at least four decades in the mother and baby homes in Ireland without a salary from the Irish authorities. And obviously I put this to Terry to see what she thought of this. And it is true um, that some congregations were paid a salary um, and those mainly were the ones that were publicly owned. Now, Bresborough was privately owned, so they would have been paid um, for caring for the women and children in, in their care. And Terry told me that Irish authorities were paying per head. She also said that the nuns lived like ladies and had everything at their fingertips. And she said that they fed them, cooked their meals and did their laundry. Now, one of the most striking quotes that she said is that they gave us life sentences. Our unborn babies were commodities. The amount of hurt there that money doesn't touch, but it is about the justice and fairness for people like Terry by the sounds of things. And Minister for Children Roderick O'Gorman is currently negotiating with many of the religious orders that you examined. Can we expect anything more from these talks? So again, I asked... um, survivor Terry Harrison about this because she has been campaigning for this for a long time 
So she felt the government is not strong on getting funding for redress from congregations because, as she put it, the whole system was a farce with the state knowing it had also failed. And again, another um, striking thing that she told me was that if she got a contract today for anything and she didn't fulfill it to the letter T, she would commit fraud. So you can see how she feels about it. Um, and also, um, like she's she's actually spoken to Minister O'Gorman about this. And he she said that he had told her time and time again that he's having conversations and emphasising conversations and she's concerned that the ongoing talks are just tea and biscuits that won't amount to anything. Now, we did send our findings to the Department of Education and the Department of Children, and we asked the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, if religious congregations should contribute a portion or all of the revenue generated to the state um, from property sales for redress going forward. And a spokesperson told us that the Minister is currently engaged in discussions with each of the congregations involved with mother and baby and country home institutions. And in that context, it would not be appropriate to comment on any potential additional contributions by the congregations towards the cost of redress. Thanks, Maria. And more behind closed doors by the sounds of it there. We learned just as we were recording this episode that a promised independent review of testimony that was given by mother and baby home survivors It has now been abandoned by the government. That was reporting in the examiner this week. um, In June of last year, Roderick O'Gorman had said that he was going to bring proposals to Cabinet. He was going to get an international human rights expert in to re-examine the written testimony given to the Commission um, after there was consternation after a report on that. So influence on trust in the process, along with the findings that Maria and Ian have in this investigation, um, you know, is I guess, at risk when people see promises made and perhaps promises broken. Is it, as Terry Harrison said, just tea and biscuits? Or shall we see some real promises and delivery of those promises in these negotiations going forward? We'll wait and see. You have been listening to this bonus episode of The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at noteworthy.ie and sign up to our newsletter, which gives an insider look at our latest investigations by visiting noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and we'll see you next time.